Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Beer podcast with Nick and the Doctor. Good to have you here with us again. Today, we're going to be talking about scent control tactics with the one and only Jake Elinger. You may have heard Jake on other podcasts. He's the owner of Habitat Solutions 360, certainly a friend of the National Deer Association. And beyond scent control, which we're talking about, he's really an expert in a lot of different areas. So uh, happy to have him on today. It's also the perfect timing to have this conversation because really at this point, I can't think of anywhere that isn't uh, either in their deer season or just about to start it. So this is the perfect time to have this conversation. And a lot of our shows now going forward are going to be switching to hunting focused discussions as they should be. This is the fun time of year for everybody. It's the time that we wait for. With that, let's say hello to a man that has chucked more wood than a hundred woodchucks could chuck, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. And Mike, that smile says it all. Explain. Well, first of all, you need to say that 10 times fast, first of all. But, well, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, good luck. But, yeah, you and I, well, this all stemmed from your Instagram post where you have your wood burner up in your cabin and it's up and fully functional. So that was exciting. And we got to... Um, talking and you're like yeah we, we were talking about where you were going to stack your wood and i was uh letting you know that there was some actual equipment that you could get inside the place that would help it be a little bit more pleasant uh you know like a, something to humidify the the air in there steamers things like that but then we got talking about wood and i had to um flex on you and show you my wood pile because last year i was sorely underestimating the amount of wood that i would go through my wood burner and um, to the point of where late spring, because spring stayed cold, even into turkey season, I was scrambling to still try and find and dry wood. So this year, I'm hoping that I don't have that problem. Yes, stacks and stacks of wood. And if you go through all that, then you have a different kind of problem. <laughs> uh, and it's not going to be staying warm. And so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, what I'm doing, my wood burning is purely recreational. You know, we might be at the cabin you know, a, a weekend here or there during hunting season, be nice to get the fire going in between hunts and whatnot, but your wood burning is for real. Like that's your primary heat source there and you are fully prepared and it, it's hard. I can't even explain the number of stacks of wood photos that you showed me. And so, because it was so um, intimidating, I didn't even show you my one little eight foot wood rack which is all I have. That'll keep me going for a full year, but uh, we're playing a different game, I think. And we are, and that's okay. Everybody does things a little bit differently, but just as long as you're satisfying your needs, I'm okay with that. And good exercise, by the way. I saw those stacks and I'm like, man, I, I don't know if he's using a wood splitter or not. And the wood splitter you're using is just the good old uh, uh, axe and doing it the old fashioned way. Yes. Yeah. Did it the, did it the old fashioned way, but um, it was good. Yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable and excited to uh, see how I do this year. I mean, obviously when you put that much time and effort into it, you want to, you want to see what the outcome is and make sure that you calculated correctly. Well, I actually, once we're done here today, I have a load of wood waiting for me. My dad has taken down a big old, uh, maple tree that's been dead for a couple of years and he saved me a bunch of it. So I'm going to go take some pieces from that. And speaking of going the extra mile and putting in effort, we're going to talk about that right now with Jake Elinger. His scent control plan is um, beyond detail-oriented, and it's really good, and I think it's interesting, and this is going to be a great discussion. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in our friend, Jake Elinger. Excited to have Jake Elinger here on the show with us today. He's the owner of Habitat Solutions 360. You may have heard him on various other podcasts that you listen to. Uh, he uh, has quite the impressive hunting and overall outdoors resume. And we joked before we started to record that we could go a bunch of different uh, directions with Jake here this morning, but we're actually going to focus on scent control. Uh, also, we've got a relationship with Jake. His farm was certified by the, the QDMA at the time when our name was different. 
uh, as Michigan's first legacy land due to his good work there on his property. He's done some outstanding things. And we'll talk about at the end where you can uh, find his stuff and learn a little bit more. But he's a passionate outdoorsman, big time hunter, and uh, been a guest, as I said, on many other podcasts. And we're excited to have him here on the Coffee and Deer podcast. So Jake, thank you for being on. And if you don't mind, fill in the gaps. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, hey, thank you, uh, Nick. Uh, hey, uh, like you said, I'm a, uh, you know, a, kind of a self-taught, uh, passionate deer hunter. I think from the first time I saw a whitetail, I just, uh, I was just, um, you know, mesmerized by it. It might have been uh, because the region that I'm living in, in southern Michigan, back in the uh, late 50s and early 60s, as I was a small boy growing up, uh, didn't have all that many whitetails. So pretty much everybody, including my family, we were fishermen, trappers, small game hunters, uh, pheasants, squirrels, rabbits, that sort of thing. And then as I was, you know, in that eight to 10 year to teenage, that's when the deer started moving into Southern Michigan and they started allowing uh, some deer hunting going on and a few antlerless permits here and there. And uh, that's, that's, you know, like I say, it just, it just really took a hold of me and I just so enjoyed learning everything I could about deer. So, uh, you know, through that, through that, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> my passion developed to the point where I, I built a business in habitat uh, consulting and land management for uh, <clears throat> habitat strategies and hunting strategies uh, and built my business over 20 some years ago. And uh, it was way over two decades ago when I first heard about QDMA and became a member of QDMA and, and enjoyed, you know, that relationship with them as well, which has brought us kind of where we're at today. So, <laughs> yeah, I love hearing the stories from folks who can remember when you, you weren't even, you weren't guaranteed an antlerless, antlerless tag. I know uh, the doctor and I here, we both grew up in, in Pennsylvania hunting as young hunters and we weren't guaranteed a tag and so now before we came on i'm talking to mike about how i'm worried that i am attracting too many deer to my to my property because i've got so many deer in my food plots and so we have seen over the course of our hunting careers very lean times all the way up to now sort of population overload in a lot of areas so um you just Thinking back through all that time, I mean, it, what's more fun when there were very few deer or were, the way it is now? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you're right, you know, uh, from hardly any deer uh, to where you're right. This part of, of southern Michigan, we have uh, high deer density, more deer than there should be. And there's lots of reasons for it. You know, we could go off and in, in a and, and and throughout the Midwest that I travel to, I see areas with you know very high deer density, and 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 then other areas where there's not. But I would say there's more high deer density now than there's ever been, and uh, you know in my travels in the last 23, 24 years uh, running this business. Um, you know, I, th I, uh, that's a tough, the quite trying to get to the answer to your question <laughs> is, is more deer better or is less deer better? I, I think I would probably err on the more deer and, and give me the opportunity to manage those deer and, uh, harvest an abundance of antlerless deer that can feed, you know, the hungry and, and family members and friends. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll go with the more deer than less. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You've had a long-term relationship with the, the QDMA and now the NDA. And so we had a lot of successes in or, as an organization convincing people that they needed to shoot antlerless deer in order to have better deer hunting overall. And that worked for a long time. If you look back through our older deer reports, uh, we, we did a good job, I think, of promoting that and it took off. But now all of a sudden, uh, I'm going to say definitely over the last five years, but maybe closer to 10, that's tailed off a bit to the point where we're not shooting nearly enough antlerless deer. So we're having national level conversations, not just in our organization, but with other organizations, state game agencies about trying to promote again, this idea of filling 
filling your doe tags and then going out and trying to fill another one if you can. So, um, you know, based on your work and what you're seeing, does it seem like it's time again to, to do just that? You know, you hit the, the nail right on the head. Nick. Um, I, I tell a number of people that I have conversations with that I've seen a huge shift and I'd say it's, it's in the last 10 years of there was a time everybody was focused and aware of the responsibility and as a, as a land steward and, and deer manager to monitor and take the uh, adequate number of antler with. And that's just gone to the wayside. You know, I, I mean, you may be uh, not politically correct, but it's all about antlers these days. And that's everything from advertising to the TV shows and the outdoor programs and social media. You know, it, it's, uh, you, you know where that leads to, but, um, you know, we've also got some, some game regulations that, uh, you know, some agencies and especially the one, the state I live in that is not doing a very good job at, at uh, you know, convincing people and then creating a mechanism uh, to take antlerless deer, to make that, you know, a, a priority in the game management uh, plan. So, yeah. Yeah, we get it. And it, it, part of uh, what you said there at the end uh, is just a convenience factor too. We talked about this. We recently had a meeting with several conservation groups out in uh, out in Montana, actually out at the Meat Eater headquarters, and we talked about it's one thing to ask people to take more deer, but part of the problem is one of the biggest reasons they don't take more is because they don't have a mechanism for dealing with them. So we can't just ask them to take more. We also have to help with things like. Uh, increased places that can maybe process the meat or places that can at least take donations and get that meat into the hands that people can use it. So uh, I know every one of us only have so much freezer space. So that that's part of the problem as well. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, the cost of uh, having a deer processed has just about doubled in the last two or three years. And and that's going to add up as well. So there's a, there's a lot of different uh, um, balls in that basket that need to be addressed for sure. Yeah. Well, we have you on here to help us shoot more deer, Jake. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about scent control with you. You've got a really detailed and um, I think unique way of going about scent control. Um, one of the things I, throughout throughout a year, and especially this time of the year, I'll get a question. It'll be it'll go something like this. What's the number one thing I need to care about if I want to get close to a big buck? And my answer has always been scent control. Uh, obviously, you have to be where there's a big buck at. But if you don't have your scent control, it doesn't matter if you're sitting over a world-class food plot or anything like that. It's not going to happen. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, there are times uh, during the peak of the rut with a hot estrus doe and a buck that knows that she is absolutely uh, seconds from being ready and stopping for me that <clears throat> uh, bucks have been known to walk through some some situations that they normally uh, wouldn't do okay but that's the extreme rare situation but even then uh, if you're stinking like a man and uh, have been all sweaty and your clothes haven't been washed in a week or two, um, probably that doe is going to get a whiff of you the moment she gets close and that whole uh, situation uh, comes apart pretty quick. So scent control is a big deal and especially for a landowner that owns a piece of property, a smaller piece of property, and is going to hunt it frequently uh, to harvest everything from antlerless deer to target bucks. Uh, every time you're on that property, you're going to leave some level of evidence. So over the years, I tried to develop a system and a, and a way and mechanism to reduce my human scent and my human impact to keep my property uh, fresh. You know, the statement of the first time in is always the best time, right? That's, that's your best opportunity to kill that target animal, which is true for a lot of reasons. There's no human scent, there's no disturbance. And so the, the white-tailed deer is a pretty amazing creature in its ability to pay attention to the details a lot of us hunters don't think about. 
And I've tried to identify those factors and then do what I can to reduce my human scent over the years. And, and I'm not going to tell you that it's not work because it is work, but I've turned it into a routine to, to where now it's just part of what I do. All right. So Jake, let's, let's start to go through the process because um, I will confirm the fact that when you said that your system works, I learned about it through listening to you on another podcast and I've implemented some of that. And so before we get into the details, I just want to let everybody know that as Jake's beginning to talk about his process, if there is a, an aspect of it that you believe that you can't achieve or you cannot do it to the level or the way that Jake does it, you can modify. And so just listen to what Jake is going to offer here and try and come up with your own solution to modify that to make it work for you based on your space, your equipment, what some of the things you have. So, um, but I will say that since I started paying that much attention to my scent control and using some of these things, I have seen a, an obvious change in how much more, how many more deer are in my effective shooting range, how many more deer that I'm seeing, how many deer actually have walked across my entry or exit route and didn't even break stride. So with that being said, Jake, go ahead. Oh, well, yeah. And number one, it's, it's great to hear that uh, you followed what I've done, you're implementing it and you're seeing how well it does work yeah. and, and it does. So, you know, uh, there's, there's all these different, uh, opinions and questions I'm sure from the listeners and it's like you know you just have to think that everything you're bringing into the woods with you needs to be as scent free as it possibly can be and that's your you know whether you're wearing a fanny pack or you carry a backpack the clothing that you wear the boots that you have on the bottoms of your boots um you know uh way back in the old days when I was just developing this and learning you know I was not wearing a wallet, removing my belt, uh, hanging my clothes outside, putting them in a uh, uh, like a canvas bag with leaves and, and pine limbs in it. You know, I was trying to experiment with these things. This was 40 some years ago. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've just really gotten disciplined about keeping everything clean, keeping, uh, tr you know, trying to eliminate your human scent and it depends how far into the weeds we want to get into, but even, even your own fingertips and palms of your hands have oil on them that contain some human sense. So as you handle your outer clothing that you're wearing into the field to hunt, there's a potential of contamination depending on how, how far you want to go with that. But uh, I have my own scent control room that's basically about 10 feet long and six feet wide, uh, right next to my uh, door in my walkout basement where it's uh, completely sealed tight, caulked, uh, rubber seals on the door and it has an ozone machine and all my undergarments are hanging or stacked on shelving in there. And that would be your, your socks, your underwear, your uh, base layers, that type of thing. Um, I'm also a believer in carbon activated clothing, as long as it's used correctly and, uh, and it's just not sitting out in the open, absorbing all, all, all kinds of odors. So then it's uh, not as effective when you're hunting with it, but to take right off from say, uh, say I'm about to go hunting. And, and the first thing, you know, I, I shower every hunt. So I take a, a good shower and I really scrub. All right, I, I scrub every part of my body with scent-free soaps. And one of the things I've added into my uh, scent control, I don't know if you've heard this one or not, Mike, is I have a stainless steel bar. It's called a stainless steel bar. It looks like a bar of soap, but after I'm completely done showering, I take that stainless steel bar and I rub it all over my body and especially my armpits and my man parts and around my neck and my insides of my elbows and my knees, places that, that would accumulate uh, sweat, which turns into bacteria. And that's sort of the final uh, as far as, as my showering. 
And then I, uh, I dry off with a towel that does not uh, get laundered in my wife's family uh, washing machine <laughs> and dryer. I have my own washing machine and dryer down in my scent control area, and that gets washed there. And so I even dry off with a towel that doesn't have any kind of the, you know, the fabric softeners and those kind of odors onto them. So my whole goal is just to uh, exit that shower, get dry and be as clean as I possibly can. And then, you know, I, I, I brush my teeth uh, with just normal toothbrush and then follow it up with brushing my teeth with basically a, a swig of peroxide and swish that around in my teeth and scrub and scrub, you know, everything because peroxide is a very good bacteria killer and, and utilize that. And uh, of course, you know, you, you spit that back out and kind of rinse out your mouth. And that's what I do as far as my showering and taking care of my breath at that level. And then I go into my basement and just like a surgeon, try not to touch anything and uh, begin dressing depending, you know, er, early time of the year, warmer season, a lighter clothing, no need for base layers and insulated clothing, colder season, then, you know, you're, you're gonna dress in layers. But right from the start, as I'm basically naked, uh, standing next to my uh, a scent control room, I've got a box of zeolite. And I don't know if anybody, uh, if you guys are familiar with zeolite, but it's crushed volcanic rock. It's pretty darn effective. It works just about as good as activated carbon. Uh, anybody who's used activated carbon will find out it's really hard to wash off and uh, it dries you out really bad and cracks your fingers and, and parts of your hands. And then, you know, I have to deal with the public like a lot of us do. And if you start putting that on your face, you're gonna end up with a lot of black and gray on your face and <laughs> on your hands. And, and uh, you know, that's not a real popular look these days. <laughs> So, so, Jake, I'm going to interrupt you there for a second. So let's back up to the stainless steel bar. I have seen that. Um, can you briefly explain what's the science behind the stainless steel bar? You know, <clears throat> the fellow that showed it to me told me that uh, the reason he started using, and actually he manufactured them for a while, and I, I bought a bunch of them before he went out of business and handed them out to my clients. Um, he said that the chefs always had a stainless steel bar and chefs always prepare their food barehanded. So let's say a chef is, is busy preparing fish and he's cutting up the fish before it goes up on the grill. When he washes his hands off, he holds his hands under the water and then he turns on just the cool water side and takes that stainless steel bar and rubs that through his hands. And now he can go right to say a, a beef or a pork and prepare that and not transfer that fish odor onto that food. That's as much as I know. I know it ionizes uh, bacteria. Okay. Stainless steel bar. Okay. Got so it. that would be the science part of it. Uh, to what level? I can't get into those kinds of details with you. All right. Just wanted to know a little bit more about that. Uh, Go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say. Uh, so I have never heard this before, and so of course I immediately look up. Can you actually buy a stainless steel bar? And I, I went to Amazon, and of course you can get one for as cheap as eight bucks. So. <laughs> There you have it. Uh, anyway, uh, continue on, Jake. So, or, well, Jake, before you hold on order, Nick. Yeah, uh, yeah. But Jake, before you go on, let's let's back up for a little bit. So you talked about zeolite, and um, what Jake is talking about is zeolite powder. And so you can uh, again order that on Amazon as well. But um, it's spelled Z E O L I T E is actually uh, how it's spelled, and um, I I do use that. And, and as Jake said. Everyone knows that um, <clears throat> true activated carbon, if you get it on anything, your clothes, uh, your wife's carpet, if it happens to be on your socks from your boots, it's not coming out. So uh, I still use activated carbon in, in one aspect of my scent control, but it's my boots only and it's the soles of my boots. But um, I actually carry them in a bin with just a, about an inch layer of activated carbon mixed with zeolite. And I just take them out and put them on my feet where I'm hunting and then I put them back in that bin so I never run the risk of my wife actually trying to murder me because I've ruined a carpet or a floor or something along those lines. But sorry, Jay, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I know a couple of people that had the zeolite in the bottoms of their boots and took their boots off and walked across 
the carpet and uh, their wives were not very pleased with that situation <laughs> oh. and a new carpet was installed because you're right you can't clean it out it's you mean the, the carbon you mean activated or, yeah, carbon the carbon yeah yeah zeolite doesn't do that people so yeah. just <laughs> that's the beauty of zeolite it doesn't do that you can wash it off you um but i use it as that is the first covering i i i i have some shakers that i use and i've also got i've bought some zeolite powder in these little bags and the and the bags are basically the size of your hand and it, and they're just and they're made out of the, the correct mesh opening to where when you pop that on your arms legs a body it will put that powder onto your body quite evenly but my goal is to cover my entire body with that zeolite before i start dressing hmm. and it's going to absorb any any uh you know any of our uh, sweat, which turns into bacteria. And it's just, a, a that's my base that I start with. Now, any clothing I wear has been, you know, laundered with scent-free soap has been, has sat in my scent control room, uh, exposed to ozone and uh, that gets put on. And my, my outer garments, uh, my scent lock, that never goes on until unless it's super cold and I'm going to a pretty close hunting stand, early season, it's carried in a Suntlock bag in my backpack until I arrive at my stand and then I put that on. Uh, but the, the truth is my, my bow, my gear, my backpack, which is gonna have a lot of different things, you know, binoculars, uh, uh, range finder, you know, your, your, your knives, of course, you know, a few things that you take along with you. I try to keep everything scent free. So I've got a little lean to uh, that I built just outside of my door that everything hangs underneath. It doesn't get rained on when it rains, but it's exposed to the air. So all that hangs outside and every year it gets prepped. I just went through my prep last weekend where I wash everything, take it, take all the gear out of my, my backpack, I thoroughly wash it, dry it. And then I put all my gear back in there and that hangs under that lean to, to be exposed to the outdoor, outdoor. It's not in the house. It's not being contaminated with all kinds of different scents. And that's, you know, grabbing my bow and, and putting on my backpack is the last thing I do uh, just before I go out, but I just realized I, I skipped a big deal and that is putting on my boots and what I do with my boots. So um, once I get everything on and I've got my socks and everything, my boots are in a plastic tote, which is probably about two feet by um, 18 inches and about 20 inches tall. And I wear the high top rubber boots and those boots have been scrubbed with uh, baking soda and you name it and activated carbon over the years. And uh, um, when I put those boots on, they have been in this tote with activated carbon on the inside of them and zeolite and shaken. And I have basically three different totes for three different pair of boots, depending on the time of the year and how much I'm hunting. And these boots that I wear have never been in a vehicle, have never gone anywhere except hunting. Um, I don't walk across parking lots and go into party stores and gas up my truck in the boots that I hunt in. But I know there's a lot of guys out there that do. And if they just took that step, they would be amazed at the changes it would make and the deer that don't pick them up on the way to their stand and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, I hope that helps get you along the way, Mike. To, uh, so once those boots are on, then I grab my bow, put on my fanny pack, grab my, my outer carbon gear, put that in my backpack and then make my way to my hunting stand, which can be anywhere from 200 yards away to a half mile away, depending on the season and the rut period hunt and that type of thing. Okay, so I'm going to jump in here just for a second and just start to give people ideas about because Jake almost exclusively hunts on his property, uh, 67 and I think three quarter acres, something along those lines. And right. I actually have 61 acres in New York. And so I don't have the capability to make my own scent free room. So I use multiple totes and those multiple totes I've sealed with um, like that 
um, weather king window adhesive foam that you can um, put around your windows to minimize a draft and then I just make a small slit so that I can run the wire of my ozone generator inside of that and I'll just run it from bin to bin to bin as I need to um, help to make my things more scent free so that's how I modified not having a scent room and for me I also hunt back home in Pennsylvania hunt with Nick and all those totes then become go into the back of my pickup truck which I have a cap on and that becomes my um, storage place for them until I can get out get to where I'm hunting and then I get dressed um, right there on the spot so um, there is ways to do this system not having all of the things that Jake has the only difference is that I had a really straightforward conversation with my wife and we only use scent free detergent and no dryer sheets if she needs to use a dryer sheet we have these scent free dryer sheets that we found but all year long there's never scented ever since we bought the washers and dryers there's never been scented detergent fabric softener those types of things that have gone through unless she needs to use bleach and um in that situation then i'll run maybe just some towels through or something like that to try and help neutralize that smell ish a little bit better but that's how i cope with not having a, a designated washer dryer just for my scentless stuff so sorry jake keep going no that's really good I, i'm glad you brought that up mike because you've done a really good job of modifying what i've done you know to, to one extreme to where it works with you and, and keeps the wife happy and i'm sure that uh, the clothing that's coming out of the laundry is pretty darn clean doesn't have any odor so you know kudos to you for for making those changes uh, one thing i want to talk about is it's great to, to you know have your body 100% clean, covered up in zeolite. Uh, if it's cooler time of the year, I may zeolite several layers of my clothing, you know, because you're having several layers. So I will zeolite up, I'll put on my base layers and, and then, you know, put on a sweatshirt and I'm just constantly putting it on because, you know, it's gonna take you a little bit longer and you, know, you don't wanna sweat and heat up on the way to your hunting stands. But your trip to the hunting stand, I think this is where a lot of guys miss, miss this detail that I use. And it's something that I developed over the years and just learned. And it's from just the constant observation. When you're watching deer, deer are, are moving their heads on a swivel. They hardly walk in one direction for any length of time. And they're constantly smelling and they're smelling from What's, what's good to eat, what's not to eat, and also to identify danger and predators and that sort of thing. So as I'm getting closer to my stand and any time, you know, if, if you're walking down a two track and there's no weeds and trees and limbs, it's fine. But as you're getting to where the vegetation is getting close to you, I carry my bow up high and, uh, or gun, you know, say if it's gun season, whatever it is, whatever weapon you're using. And I, and I try to mimic myself being the surgeon that he's walking out of his clean room area into the operating room. My goal is to make it to the stand and not brush against any weeds, trees, limbs, sticks, or anything and get to my hunting stand. And you just know that if you touch something, especially with your bare hands and say it's taken you 10 or 15 minutes to make that walk from say your pickup where you're where you've got all your totes, you're gonna leave a little bit of human odor. So it's my goal to not leave any human odor if I can all not do that. And uh, bottoms of those boots and taking care of the bottoms of those boots and tucking in uh, your, your pants inside of those boots so that your pants that you put on it may have a little bit of human odor as you were pulling them up, aren't dispensing a faint amount of human odor against that uh, say there's a ragweed in in your path leaning over and it brushes up against that and you're in your stand and, and here comes the doe and the buck you've always dreamed for is 20 yards behind her and as she gets closer she smells that ragweed that brushed against your pants all of a sudden she gets all tense and she starts stomping her foot on the ground and you, you're about to know what's going to happen so it's not that we can eliminate all of these things, but I sure try to as much as I possibly can. And it works pretty darn good. And, and if you can fool these five, six, eight-year-old mature does, then you can pretty much fool those mature bucks as well. So getting close to that buck 
you're right, Nick, it's not going to happen if you aren't taking care of your scent control. And, and again, playing the wind along with that. Hello, friends. I want to take a moment to talk to you about longtime NDA supporters, Wildlife Research Center. The company is the industry leader in the research and development of advanced hunting scent and human scent elimination products for hunters. Wildlife Research Center is famous for their scent killer gold spray, field wipes, and laundry detergent for scent elimination, and they also offer a full line of both natural and synthetic attractants and masking scents. They also care about herd health by participating in the Responsible Hunting Scent Association's Deer Protection Program, which aims to protect deer from the spread of chronic wasting disease. To learn more about Wildlife Research Center and to view their products, visit their website at wildlife.com. So I have a quick question before I turn it over to Nick, because I know he has a question, is let's talk about the elephant in the room, Jake. How long does it take you to get prepared in the morning? Because that, from people that I've talked to, has always been the biggest hang up of the, they weren't prepared for the amount of time commitment prior to their hunt, either in the morning or in the evening. You know, um, once you get Everybody builds their own routine. You've got your tote system, but once that's all developed and you know how to take care of your clothing after the hunt so that it's ready for the, pro the next hunt, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to say it's, it's, it's 10, maybe 15 minutes from start to finish. That's, you know, I'm not hunting every day because I'm, a, I'm, a re I'm real selective about wh when, where, and how I hunt. So to me, I get excited as, as I'm going through my scent control routine. I'm getting pretty excited about the hunt and thinking about where I'm going to go. And, and it's, you know, it's this time of the year and the temperature. And so I don't see it as a problem. I see it. Ju it's just part of the hunt. I'm just preparing for the hunt. So okay. I don't see it as, as a big obstacle. And I think for a lot of people that see it as, as quote, the elephant in the room, once they've tried it and done it a few times, they're going to find it's not that big of a deal. Right. There you go. So it makes it worth it. Because again, for me in my tote system, it takes me 20 minutes just because of the difficulty going through the totes. And as much as you can organize them, there's still things that I need certain days based on the temperature or the humidity or rain, in the forecast that might be on the bottom of the tote that I have to dig through. So um, for me, it takes 20 minutes with totes. So you just have to mentally make that part of your routine, knowing that the outcome is going to be worth it. That is a good way to say it. And uh, one thing I can add, and I know you'll agree to this, uh, Mike, is at the end of the hunt, you've come back home, let's say it's an evening hunt, or say it's a, you, you've hunted all morning and you're back around noon or whenever it is, there are some things you need to do. You know, you got to hang up your bowl, uh, fanny pack, all that stuff, uh, backpack. Um, you've got to take your outer garment layers off if, if it's set locked. It, have you hunted in it enough to where you think you need to uh, run it in the dryer for an hour? Or do you just put it back in your scent lock bag? And then your undergarments that you wear, for me, everything goes into a washer. I wash everything. I got, I've got this dedicated, it, it's one of those piggyback units, got the dryer on top and the, and the washer on the bottom. So, I mean, socks, underwear, base layers, everything I wore for that hunt goes in, gets washed with scent-free soap, then of course I, I dry it when it expires. So I have a routine to follow up behind so that everything is ready for that next hunt. So, you know, that, that 10 to 15 minutes that it's taken me has another 10 to 20 minutes afterwards, but it's all part of uh, being successful. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm feeling pretty inadequate here. <laughs> <laughs> As, as I'm sure other listeners probably are, I've just been enjoying sitting back listening to this because I'm learning and we all have our own routines. Uh, I have gotten lazy in the past. I've gotten a little bit better. I was going to go through my routine, but I'm embarrassed to do it now. So I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm, I'm also a little bit stuck on, I mean, I, I just, I try not to let on that I know how to use a washing machine. And we got Jake that actually has his own and Mike's talking about using the washing machine. I mean, and, 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 and don't send me nasty emails because my wife lets on that she doesn't know how to start the lawnmower. So, you know, it's just, a, it's just the thing we do, but no, I, I do do laundry in November, uh, which is sort of the known thing around here. And so I'm glad we got into that discussion. I don't have a separate 
washing machine, but I'll do similar things to what to what Mike does as well. Um, but so uh, thank you, Jake, for all that. And I, I want to ask you this. So one of the things I've done is I've tried to switch up my routine a little bit is um, I'm also using a tote and I'm just storing my clothes in that tote because I just find that's the easiest way to kind of control external odors uh, from the home. But I don't put anything in that tote. Nothing goes in that tote unless it's unless it's been through uh, my ozone wash first. So just your thoughts about ozone. I've heard you talk about this on other uh, podcasts as well. Your thoughts on ozone and is that, do you consider that at least uh, of my... <laughs> If my faulty system, do you at least consider that to be a good practice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, ozone works pretty good at removing odors. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of industries that have used it for removing odors. And it's very famous in the used car industry. Guy brings in a vehicle. It's full of scar smoke. They run an ozone machine in there 24 hours a day for three or four days. They, they give it the, the wash down. Now, when it's out on the lot, somebody opens the door and they don't smell all that smoke. So it definitely works real good. And, uh, you know, there's there's both sides of the aisle for ozone in the field. And that's very, uh, I'd say, hunter density and deer density dependent on success and failure of how that works. But I, I really like using it for cleaning odors off of clothing. So you're doing the right thing. And, you know, I, th I think every little piece that someone can do, uh, Mike made a really good comment that, you know, not everybody has the time and the, and the, the location and the areas to do all the different things I do. You know, I'm, I'm living on the property that I hunt. Um, you know, I, I'm older in life and a very understanding wife. And she's like, yep, you know, I, you're so passionate about this. I get it. You just do your thing and I can do my thing. But I think everybody can have a piece of this to what I've seen clients literally use two or three five gallon pails and they wash all their clothes in these five gallon pails with the scent free soap they buy at the outdoor center. And then they've got the rinse pail and then they've got a little clothesline over off on the side of the garage or the house. And that's where they hang those all their hunting clothes. So you can adapt any way you want to make this work. All depends how bad we want it, right? <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's a good point. You get out what you put in. There's no question about that. Um, and so let's let's look at it backwards then here, and then we'll move on to something else. So then, understanding most people can't do it all, or don't, or it's harder for them to do everything that you do. What would you say is the biggest mistake that the average hunter makes when it comes to scent control? And then to answer the, the flip side of that, then would be. Uh, so then, therefore, what are the one or two things that are absolutely critical? If you can't do anything else, at least do this. I would say uh, it's the bottoms of your boots. It's the boots that people wear into the into the woods that gets them into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And, and this, and, and maybe the caveat to that is, this applies to the to the landowner. Uh, that is hunting the same piece of property multiple times. If it's your first time in and 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 it's your last time in, okay, you're gonna hunt it once and you're out of there. Well then, you know, it's it doesn't have near near the impact because you're not gonna be there the second and third and fourth, you know, several times later. It's that accumulation of human odor in certain areas that deer pick up when you're in bed sleeping at night that ruins those follow-up hunts. Yeah, the deer wood certainly doesn't shut down whenever you go home and go to bed. There's a no. whole world going on out there. So, uh, you know, anybody who's hunted, and I don't care if you're first first year hunter, a 40 year veteran, has watched deer trail them to their stand. Mm -hmm. And that was the bottoms of your boots giving it away. So I would say that, you know, again, I'm just out of the number one thing, that's the first thing I would focus on. And then probably kind of from that point, focus up, you know, your your outer layer of your, your hunting clothing, your camouflage clothing that you're wearing. And, you know, how are you handling that? Are you touching the lower cuffs with your hands? And are those tucked inside of the boots or are those out, outside of the boots? And there's, you know, I, we, I could go way down the weeds on that, but I'm not so sure that, you know, how far you want to go with, with, the different 
ways to deal with with your pants and your high top boots. So I'll, I'll let you lead that, Nick. <laughs> well, I was I was intrigued about uh, the point where you have multiple pairs of boots, and so one of the things I'm I'm ashamed to tell you. I almost feel like I'm going to confession here now with <laughs> Father Jake, but uh, is that so? I will. I will often, because my, my land is about 35 minutes from my house, I'll put on my boots here and I'll drive to my hunting location and walk out into the woods. Not always. I mean, sometimes I will, uh, you know, at least put them in the bed of my truck, but I'm not doing myself any favors there, am I? Um, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, hey, you know, this is all about being honest, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I might make some friends and make more enemies with some of the things I say, but uh, I mean, your your goal is to get close to deer, and you've all, and I'm sure uh, that property that you hunt every once in a while or or every year, you've got a buck you'd really like to get in front of you, and every time you go in there because you've worn those boots from the moment you left your house and you, and your and those boots are touching that brake pedal and who knows what's on that brake pedal. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then who knows what kind of parking lots and areas you've, you've worn, you've wore those boots at. And then when you went into that area, you left all that on the, on the ground. Okay. And, and of course it's, it's just microbes, but we know deer have such an ability to smell compared to us humans. I mean, I, I always have conversations with people about, wouldn't it be neat to have a nose like a deer? Because imagine all these different odors we'd be able to identify and separate in our, in our head. But uh, yeah, you know, you could really improve your hunting life uh, by changing up just with that. Getting, you know, get yourself some dedicated boots in a tote. And one thing, I, I will mention anybody that buys a brand new pair of boots, if you take them out of the box, boy, do they smell like rubber. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have to get them very close to your face. You smell fresh rubber. Well, that's not going to help you real good right out of the gate. So there's a preparation process I have for brand new boots because, you know, sooner or later you got to buy new boots. And they spend about, you know, after multiple scrubbings with, uh, baking soda, they spend about six months in activated carbon. And then when you take them out of there, you cannot smell rubber. You can put them right to your nose and you cannot smell rubber. And one thing you don't want to do is, is expose your rubber boots uh, to ozone because ozone is known to break down rubber. Right. And it can, yeah. it can be, it can be bad news. Well, this is fascinating. And, uh, the, the one thing that keeps going through my mind here is someone, someone may be sitting there, you know, listening and saying, well, I don't know, it's kind of over the top. And my response, I guess, to that would be, and this is even a bit of a pep talk to myself is, um, I don't, I don't think you can over prepare when it comes to scent control and you can certainly under prepare. So this is in one case, I think m doing more is not going to hurt you doing less, you know, certainly will hurt you. So, uh, I do think that it's certainly worth at least a 10 to 15 minute investment uh, of a person's time. And, and as you said, I, I liked when you said this earlier, it's just what you do. It's just part of the hunt. It's as uh, common to you as shooting your bow before the season and climbing up a tree stand. So I don't, I don't think you can overdo it in this case. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I'd, I'd like to follow that up with, you know, um, I, I, I developed my property. It's very strategic. I've got incredible bedding areas, transition zones, socialization areas, food plots. I'm doing all of that. I work on that. You know, I, I do that work. You know, it's it's deer season 12 months out of the year for me because I'm always thinking, watching, you know, getting at my, my cell phone's going off because I'm getting trail camera pictures sent to the cell phone while we're talking here and I'm kind of looking over, you know. Um, we do all that work. If we take the extra time and invest our time, and there might be a little bit of money in, in the totes and, and the zeolite and, and the stainless steel bar and some of these things that I've mentioned. But now when we go to those stands and hunt, our hunts are gonna be, I can just tell you, uh, I've killed so many nice bucks, target bucks, that sure there was a lot of strategy, you know, time of the year, high pressure, wind direction, uh, you know, 
rut period versus uh, early season, late season, but those hunts became successful because I did everything that I did prior to that hunt to reduce my human scent. Because the two hours or longer that I waited for that buck to show up, all those does and young bucks that I wasn't uh, ready to uh, harvest because I was waiting for that buck, were not alarmed that I was there. And uh, I'm sure probably the both of you know this, all deer have an interdigital gland between their hooves. And there is a smell that any deer can recognize when it is an unalarmed deer walking or that doe or buck that stands there and stops, at foot, stomps its foot and makes two or three big bounds and runs off. There's a different odor. Well, you don't want that odor around your stand because any other deer that approaches is gonna smell that. So I'm gonna jump in here real quick just to kind of um, wrap this up before we shift gears. But what I wanna say is, you know, we're not trying to get everyone out there to drink the Kool-Aid. We're just trying to give you tools that you have to critically look at yourself. And for me, the reason that I jumped on board with this is because for my place, the, the house is on right in the center of the western border of the property. I probably 80% of the season, unless it's like a, a stiff north wind or a south wind, I have to literally walk in with the wind to my back. And so I've created these trails in... I call them like deer desert areas that I try not to do much in habitat so that I can get through them without what Jake said about that doe smelling that ragweed that brushed against my leg or my arm. So for me, it was a, it was a choice because I don't get a lot of days to hunt every year. And, you know, Jake, we'd like to get you on some other time to talk about your pressure and how to control the pressure on a single hunting property. Cause I think that's a whole other interesting conversation, but I don't have a lot of days to hunt. And when I do go in, I want the best chance that I have to target a specific deer that I want. And people talk about and, and kind of rake the TV celebrities that have hundreds of acres or even some of them thousands of acres, multiple farms. And they always say that these younger bucks don't really have any issues of pressure put on them because they're never the ones being targeted. But in normal hunting situations, that two and a half year old that walks by and smells my boot tracks or finds where my stand might have been at night is eventually going to become the three, four, five year old buck that I want to harvest. And why educate him as a 18 month old, two and a half year old? And I want to try and put as many things in my favor as I can. So that's where I'm kind of um, thinking about this at that to me, it's it's worth the time and, and the effort because when I go out and I commit to that, I want the best chance that I have to succeed. Excellent points, Mike. You hit it, it's spot on. Um, I, I, uh, I often go through this uh, scenario with several of my clients as I'm helping them with their habitat and getting them a long-term uh, management plan, You know, everything from timber stand improvements to food plots. And we get into the, the conversation of scent control and that's right where I end up going. I say, you know, you say, yeah, you know, it's just a few does. It's just those young bucks. Well, those young bucks will turn into older bucks. And they will remember that stand site where they had a negative uh, situation at one time. So why educate them? So you, you hit it. Jake, let's do this and we'll get you out of here. We want to be cognizant of your time. Tell us a little bit about uh, your company, the, th the services you provide and uh, where we can find you. Oh, well, my business is a Habitat Solutions 360 LLC. Um, I do on-site consultations, spend the, the, you know, whatever the necessary time with the landowner, uh, six or eight hours, sometimes two days, depending on the size of the property, Come, uh, point out all kinds of things to the landowner, you know, potential bedding areas, uh, Here's a, here's a better place for access because, you know, where screening is needed, uh, great rut stands, all those kinds of things, uh, potential uh, new bedding locations, potential food sources, existing food sources, what you can do to improve them. And then I come back to my office and I design and detail up a really neat full color property management layout, stand locations, early season versus late season, rut stands, access, 
all that type of information along with a video that I create with photographs that I took the day I was on the guy's properties to basically put a very comprehensive long-term management plan together for these hunters and landowners that just wanna have better hunting or be able to see and harvest older deer. I'm also on social media for uh, Facebook. Um, it's Habitat Solutions 360 LLC. And then of course my website is Habitat Solutions 360.com and my email is jake at habitatsolutions360.com. Well, we appreciate that, Jake. And folks, Jake is a real pro. Check out his YouTube channel. There's some good videos on there. Check out his website. And uh, he's definitely somebody that we have a lot of respect for and uh, hope you can connect with him. So, Jake, thank you so much for taking out the time and uh, keep us posted on your hunting season. It's that time of year now. Yeah, I will. Hey, and, and thank you for having me on. The first thing I have to say, Mike, is I'm completely fired up now after listening to Jake. You know, you think about the hunting season's coming and you're getting ready and you're shooting and doing all the things you need to do. But then this conversation made it get very real. And so it's here. And I got to tell you, I mean, his, what he does is, is far beyond anything I've, I've done or even really want to do. Uh, but you get out what you put in. And I think that's one of the big reasons he's had a lot of success. And I, I hope our listeners can either completely replicate it or what you said, I thought was great that you do parts of it that work for you. And so I think it's about doing what you need to do and being adaptable. Well, I think it all stems from understanding your situation. And as I talked about, I unfortunately have the situation where I'm always approaching from the West and most of the the wind directions in the fall are coming from the south southwest west northwest and very few times we get like a true north or a true south so i always have that wind in my back to a certain degree so i had to come up with a better solution and it was my entrance and exits and actually making a few deer deserts where i can get in through the woods and using better scent control and jake is the same way where he only hunts his place but he wants it to be the best that it possibly can and not alert the deer. But, you know, I know you kind of threw yourself underneath the bus there, but I, I'll be the first to say, you know your situation. And I think where you excel is understanding your entrance and exit routes and you actually go that extra mile for those. And so I guess that's what I want everyone to hear is that you need to know your situation. You need to analyze your situation and then surround yourself with the tools or the process that's going to support that the best it can for you. Yes. It's all about being adaptable, doing what works for you. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely someone that likes to hunt the wind first and foremost. Um, you know, it's funny, this is the time of year where we all pay attention to the weather forecast and the wind forecast more than any other. I know uh, I live in this, this small town of Indiana, Pennsylvania, and we have this uh, nice tower right on the right on the main street there with a, with a big American flag on top of it. And so every day from now until I'm done hunting, I'll be looking at that flag when I leave the house and under seeing which direction the wind's blowing. And it's the only time I pay attention to it. So anyway, it is that time of year. I also reminded my wife that November is the time of year that I miraculously remember how to use the washing machine. So <laughs> anyway, it is what it is. It's a fun time of year. I love it. And uh, Jake was awesome. Glad glad to have him on the show uh, for sure. All right, Mike, I got to ask you, when folks are listening to this, we'll be just two days from opening day in Pennsylvania, which is the 30th of September this year. Where are you? Are you excited? I am. I, I think you should know that I am because I called you last week on my way back to New York and it just hit me all of a sudden like this is it like the next time i actually roll back into pennsylvania it's for hunting purposes so yeah i'm excited um and but, but i'm also excited about new york as well i'm gonna hit some public land i've got some areas scouted out that um have like pricked my interest for the first time in four years now three four years i have uh red oaks dropping again after all the issues we've had with um, pest infestation that defoliated the the oaks they haven't produced for a while. My chestnuts are actually just sagging off the trees. Literally, the burrs are getting bigger. 
every apple tree I have on the place, except for three young ones have, have apples. Um, all of my food plots are in and they're all coming up, even though they were a late, late plant as I needed to this year. I didn't plant them until September 7th, but everything's up and deer are starting to use them. So I, I have a lot of things to be excited about whether I kill or not. I mean, this is just, I'm just going to enjoy it because I'm excited to see how this year rolls out. Yeah. You just hit the nail on the head there. As I was thinking about it, I'm just excited to get out there. And I remember a couple years ago, I finally got out. Uh, I, I couldn't hunt the morning for some reason on opening day, but I went in the evening and I just sat there and watched these deer come out into my food plot. And I just sat there and enjoyed it. Like I didn't even reach for my bow, even though I had antlerless tags. And so I think that's just a big part of it is getting that cold air in your nostrils and, and smelling fall and being part of it. And yeah, you have a lot of things to be excited about. I'm excited. Um, I have, I think, three different bucks that I've narrowed down that I would like to shoot if I get the opportunity. We'll see. Although they've the last few days, they've sort of disappeared. Must be some acorn somewhere uh, that they found. But uh, anyway, I've been shooting every day. Hope to get out to Delaware soon as the weather cools a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's time. T time to be excited and time to get after it. So, all right. With that, folks, we got a couple NDA announcements. These are exciting ones. And so one of them is, as I announced last time, and we are close to the deadline here, our super popular Ferminator sweepstakes uh, is coming to a close. Matter of fact, it ends at midnight on the 30th, uh, opening day of, of hunting season here. So don't don't miss out. Listen, one ticket, it's 75 bucks, but you get a premium membership with that ticket right off the bat. OK, you also, in addition to the Ferminator, which is a heck of a prize we're giving away. This is the six footer. This is a real machine. Uh, you are for every hundred draw for every hundred tickets sold. We're also drawing for a mystery prize. So it's not just the Ferminator. It's a bunch of other really uh, cool things that uh, that we're going to be giving away as part of that. So um, also, we are in a really cool sweepstakes with our friends at Quiet Cat, First Light, and Tethered. I've teased this thing a couple times. Well, now it's real. It's out there. You can participate. It's the Gear for Deer sweepstakes. And we have some just uh, awesome prizes. So here's the list of prizes. Grand prize. Two free 2024 rut hunts with licenses and tag included. It's a five-day archery hunt in mid-November uh, or the first three-day firearm season in Illinois. And it's going to be also with a hunting celebrity, okay, to be named. But this, this, is, a great pro, uh, this is a great prize worth entry alone. Also, First Light Spectre by Quiet Cat. Okay, this is a bike valued at $3,700, an e-bike. Okay, outstanding piece of equipment. From First Light, $1,500 worth of First Light gear. So a $1,500 First Light gift card. And from Tethered, you know, Mike and I are saddle hunters. We talk a lot about that here. You get the custom lockdown saddle. Also in First Light, carbon fiber Vader platform, which is brand new to the market. And also a set of one sticks. That is an awesome, I, you know, the doctor and I can tell you that is a first class setup for saddle hunting. That's just first place. Okay. We also have second place prizes, um, third place prizes, just some really great stuff from our partners there. This gear for deer sweepstakes, it started on September 14th. It's going to run until the end of the year. Okay. So you have until the end of the year to get in this thing. It's big, great opportunity. And so I want you to check that out. You just go to deerassociation.com and go to gear for deer, deerassociation.com slash gear for deer. By the way, you can get into this thing for next to, nothing, next to nothing. You get five entries for 10 bucks if you want to get in at that low level. And if you want to really get in and you're a high roller and you want to get in, there's a thousand dollar level, which also comes with some neat things. So anyway, one of the coolest things we've done uh, in recent years with some great partners. So I invite you to check that out. I also want to bring to your attention a really cool educational video that we recently put out. It is uh, entitled, How to Identify Antlerless Deer in the Field Plus an 18 Deer Quiz. Now we did this in conjunction with our friends at the Bearded Buck. 
Uh, it's a 17 minute video. It uses footage of uh, footage of live deer uh, to teach you how to separate adult does from younger does and also doe fawns. And so great tool, especially at a time where in much of the country, antlerless harvests are not nearly where they should be. So you wanna check that out, just go to the NDA website and search uh, identify antlerless deer in the field and you will find it. You can actually just find that by going to Google as well. And finally, one more thing folks that we haven't asked you for in quite a while. And that is if you would, please take the time to give us a rating, leave a comment about how you like the show. That helps us uh, continue to grow in popularity and get to more people's ears. So wherever you listen to your podcast, if you could give us a rating, I would love a five-star rating, but if you think we're a one-star, give us that too. Fair enough. Uh, but please consider giving us a rating and helping us out that way. We do appreciate it. All right. A lot going on as always. Some cool stuff. It's hunting season. We're excited. We're ready to go. I hope you're getting after it. Look forward to hearing your reports and we're looking forward to giving you ours. Thanks again for listening, folks. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. Deer.